Welcome back to the Veteran Sound Podcast. Today I have a really special guest because I kind of found him on accident. As many of you that might personally know me, I listen to a lot of NPR, and I was listening to Morning Edition one day, and I heard the story there, and then right after that, some of the uh, Army Music Facebook groups I'm in kind of started sharing the, sharing the articles around. But it's a really cool story. It's actually the grandson of Richard Burt. Richard Burt was a musician in World War II, and I don't want to spoil it, but basically his unit, right before they got disbanded, recorded a live album in the field, uh, in the in the Pacific Theater. So, and I don't want to spoil it, but they recorded it. It got put on a vinyl, and his grandson has it today. And his grandson is doing some really, really cool stuff with it today. So this was my interview with Jason Burt. I was re- it was really cool to have him, especially after all the kind of TV and uh, podcast appearances he's had recently. So it was cool to have him on. And uh, this is my interview with Jason Burt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Veteran Sound Podcast. Today I have Jason Burt. He is a, um, I believe, a history teacher up out of Sacramento, and he is a really cool story to share. Um, I actually came came or found his story in a couple of the Facebook groups I'm in on, um, obviously, Facebook, but kind of like army musician groups. This I saw the NPR article kind of started to get shared around. I was like, what is this? Like, this is pretty cool. Like, um, like a World War II Grammy uh try to like try to grammy nomination or whatnot but i'm sure he'll explain it uh so i really wanted to bring him on and just kind of be able to help you know help him share his grandfather's story and especially what he's trying to do with his grandfather's work um so jason yeah if you want to go ahead and and introduce yourself yeah my name is jason burton i'm a historian and a middle school history teacher in clarksburg california it's just outside of sacramento and uh, the, the story, the basic story of, of what we're trying to do is my grandpa was a trumpet player in World War II. Well, he's a trumpet player his whole life, but specifically in World War II, that's what he did during the war. And basically he went from one place to the next and he ended up in this group called the 746th Far East Air Force Band. And they were out in the Pacific over in the Philippines and they went from Leyte to Manila, uh, just playing their instruments and living day to day of island hopping and all that fun stuff they did out in the Pacific. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, eventually they ended up in Manila in a place called Fort McKinley, which is outside of Manila. And uh, by pure happenstance, uh, a special uh, forces unit came through with, it was only two guys and they happened to have a wire recorder. And it was pretty uncommon for that, for a frontline band unit to have access to something like that out in the middle of the jungle. And so uh, the war had just ended and they were uh, soon to be disbanded. And so they created, they decided to sit down and take advantage of this uh, wire recorder that they had. And so they set it up and basically recorded a set of uh, some popular big band songs that they usually played. And uh, when it was all done, nobody thought it was that big of a deal. Uh, And I, I imagine none of them thought something like this would be going on today. Right. My grandpa being the uh, the collector and lover of music that he was, uh, asked his CEO if he could uh, take the recordings, and uh, that was that. He brought them home. He got approval from his CEO, and they took those wire recordings home to Salt Lake City and down to the local radio station and had them put on vinyl, and that's where they were for 75 years. He kept them safe that long. Wow. So the unit right right after that, the unit was totally disbanded and I guess your grandfather and, and they were all discharged at that point or just some were some were discharged, you know, on the so one of the tracks on the album is uh, an oral history and it's it's recorded in the 80s and it's my grandpa telling this whole story of his time as a musician during the war. And it's about 28 minutes long and on that track uh, towards the end when he's actually talking about the, the day they recorded and things like that. Uh, he mentions uh, mistakes were made during, I mean, sounds really, really good to, to the, the untrained ear. Like I come from a family of musicians and it sounds really good to me. Uh, I'm the only one that doesn't play an instrument in my family, but so uh, he mentions there's a lot of miscues and things like that. It all sounds really good to me, but he also mentions it's because a lot of the guys are new. They had just gotten there. So some of the veterans had already left. He was with the unit the whole time and he was leaving soon. 
And so there, there's a lot of uh, brand new guys and they were just seeing the sheet music for the first time. So uh, it's it's a first take for most of them, which is actually pretty impressive in itself. Just sight reading on the fly. And that's a funny yeah. thing to think about too, like not just sight reading on the fly, but they recorded it. And then how many years later now, like still looking at that. And at the moment, I'm sure they were just kind of, they're just there and just happened to have access to that equipment. That yeah, totally. Incredible. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, that probably helped that they were so relaxed. I mean, nobody thought it was a big deal. They just thought right, it was just themselves. It's yeah. almost a jam session. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Was, uh, was your grandfather drafted? Yeah. So he was uh, in college uh, when Pearl Harbor happened. And he was at uh, BYU over in Provo and uh, Pearl Harbor happened. And then uh, he was in his own band. He had taken some time off from school waiting because he thought he was going to get drafted. So he was just waiting around, waiting around. And uh, so he, he had his own band and he was playing as a, a band leader in a, a Bryce Canyon at a place in Bryce Canyon. Actually, that lodge is still there. And so he's waiting to get drafted. He gets drafted in 43. And uh, this is all in that oral history track too. It's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, uh, detailed story of just his whole time in the military. But uh, he gets drafted in '43 in uh, Salt Lake City, and he gets sent to this place called Camp Kearns. And uh, he goes through basic training at Kearns, and he's not slated to be a musician. All he's been his whole life is a musician. But he goes through Kearns and he's not, I mean, he's drafted and they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't know. He's just, he's just going to be another guy again. And as fate would have it, he finishes his uh, basic training and he has a buddy stationed there in the band who was in the band at BYU with them. And his buddy takes his serial number and name and go gives, go, goes and gives it to his CO. And that's how he gets in the band. Uh, he even mentions, uh, if, if not for this buddy of his, Max Dalby. Uh, he was supposed to be a latrine technician, which sounds like a pretty undesirable job. Yeah. Uh, but so he was going to be slated for other things, if not for his buddy who intervened and, and things like that, which is, is pretty incredible because without this beginning part of the story, the rest doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, yeah. And then I saw uh, after the army, he went to Juilliard and then continued continued music from there, too. Correct. Or. Yeah, his whole life was about music. Like, even when he was a kid, uh, he he's, in interviews I had with him when he was still alive, he mentioned, you know, he wasn't very scholastic. He couldn't actually, he could read musical notes long before he could actually read words. Like, he couldn't even read until high school. And he didn't even finish high school. He got a scholarship to go to college on a music scholarship without even having graduated high school. He was really talented. He was, uh, he knew music was going to be his whole life. And after the war, he, he did get into Juilliard, and uh, he went and got his uh, bachelor's and master's in music and, and stuff like that. And he came to this crossroads uh, when he got his master's degree. One of my, my oldest uncle had just been born and uh, he was playing with the Des Moines Symphony Orchestra. And he kind of came to this crossroads about realizing uh, the dedication and the time being a professional would take him away from his family and his kids. Right. He, he decided to jump into teaching music after that because he didn't want to be away from that. So that 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 was pretty much his uh his his life after the war i would even argue so like during this whole project and researching all this stuff uh during the war he had come across so he started off at kearns got in the band there and then he transferred he got transferred down to southern california at march field and march field was just full of guys who were in the service but prior to that they were in nationally known big bands and, and Hollywood recording types. And so he had been first chair trumpet his whole life. And he goes down to Southern California with all these guys. And he's all of a sudden like third and fourth chair. Like he's, he's not the guy anymore. And yeah, yeah, he's with these guys for like a year and he's just like soaking in all this information while he's stateside. And uh, he has that going for him and he volunteers to go out to the Pacific and he just practices and practices, even in his downtime, he's practicing. And so uh, this whole journey of me re researching all this stuff on him has made me realize that, you know, without this World War II military band experience, there's no way he gets in the Juilliard. Just, there's just no way. He came across too many talented people to learn from on this journey. And right. had much time in, in the Pacific that he put into it. Like he was doing three hours a day on his own in the jungle on a mute just to yeah. Other guys in the band were like playing chess and stuff. He would still practice. So 
there's without the war, there's just no way he would have gotten to Juilliard. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of that. Wow. Um, one thing that does come to mind while I'm thinking of it. So obviously you're doing a lot of research for this project and specifically around the recording, the recording that came out of that jungle in the Philippines. Um, I'm sure you've kind of looked into it. Do you know if there's anybody still alive that was involved with that or? Yeah, so I have looked and the only clues I really have are so far, like I, at some point I'm gonna dig a little deeper when I start, cause I, I plan on writing a book on this whole thing. So at some point I'll, I'll do a little more digging once the music portion is behind me. But the guys that I know about just based on internet research and guys my uh, grandpa has mentioned uh, in his oral history, uh, I haven't come across any of their lives. Uh, there was one that was pretty close. When I started this whole thing, I just missed him by a few months and I came across his name when I just started this last year and uh, I just missed him. So he's the closest I've come to to finding anyone that's still alive. But I have been in contact with family members of known band members uh, who uh, their band member had passed away already. It's been fun to talk to them too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's, yeah, for the network. And just even, yeah, if you can't, you can't find any kind of first contact. I'm sure it's the same thing. Sounds very similar with your grandfather. Your grandfather shared his story with you guys growing up. I'm sure it was the same thing with them. Um, and just even being able to get just information from them. But yeah, you know, putting those pieces together has been pretty fun and talking to family members. It's almost like, I mean, they have such similar stories, especially their wartime story being similar. It's almost like, like inheriting extra grandpas because they had such a similar experience as my grandpa. It's been pretty right, funny. Right. You're like, yeah, you're like, oh man, like my grandpa did that too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, did, yeah, it's been a blast talking to them. Did it seem like most of the music? So, I don't know if this is uh, something you've learned from like talking, saying, talking to those family members or what, but it's, did it seem like most of the musicians got drafted? You know, most of these guys. It seemed like most of most of most of the ones you'd never heard of were definitely drafted. Like the guys my grandpa played with down at March Field, uh -huh. those big name guys who volunteered, and you knew they were going to get into the music side of it. Right, right. So they, yeah, yeah. I think on a local level, a lot of the people like Camp Kearns was a. I mean, it was in a small area of of Utah, but everyone coming in there, the majority of them were from Utah. And Utah, I mean, a lot of a lot of people know like people know people in Utah. So I think uh, if, you, if you knew people and like all the band people probably knew all the band people, you could get pulled in. And, and my grandpa was fortunate enough to get pulled in, but I think most of them got drafted. Um, I've even noticed like some of the big name jazz people uh, who made na their name in jazz later on, but they were just drafted as soldiers. Uh, you could see just what the, the military musicians were missing out on just like on some talent because they weren't, I mean, I mean, how are you supposed to know if somebody's super talented at something? It's just total coincidence. Like some of them were just right place at the right time. Like Dave Brubeck was this amazing jazz musician, but during the war, he was like this total like sharpshooter, excellent soldier. And that's what he was going to be. And he gets over to Europe and just by pure happenstance, right place at the right time, somebody needed a piano player somewhere in Europe and he was there. And uh, rather than going up front to the front and joining a, uh, uh, Patton's third army he's asked to stay back and make a band and that's how he becomes a band member in uh, Europe in World War II so uh, the, the band is just a fascinating thing to, to, to look at during the war just, uh, partially because it's interesting but the other part of it is uh, it's news to a lot of people because it's not something heard about every single day oh I yeah um, even to this day that's definitely something so I'm I'm a musician in well I'm in California now but I was I was in the New Jersey National Guard um, we have a six, we have a national guard band there. And then California here is a national guard band. Um, and when I tell people like, oh yeah, I'm in the guard. They're like, oh, that's cool. Like what, what's your MOS? And I'll usually do MOS first. I'll say, oh, I'm 42 Romeo. And they'll be like, get the same response every time. Like, oh, what the, what the hell is that? Cause everybody knows like every, 11 Bravos infantry, like 11 Charlies indirect infantry, 88 Mike is a transpo like a lot of people know or even 40 42 alpha like 42 alpha is human resources but uh 42 romeo like nobody knows because it's like and they're like oh like what the hell is that and i'm like oh like like bands person or like army bands person and they're like what and i'm uh -huh. like yeah there, there's like and they're like like we have a like band 
Like, yeah. And, um, and then I'm like, and here's, here's a statistic that's true that just kind of, um, that a lot of people are surprised to hear that the U.S. military is actually the number one, like the single largest employer of musicians in the country. Yeah, in the, absolutely. In, yeah. Um, so it's funny. I mean, but I get it over and over and over again. I, I've, I've just gotten used to it. I mean, like when I was in basic training, it was a kind of, so when you go into basic training, like you can either be a specialist for two reasons. Like you can be a specialist because if you're going in as a musician, obviously you have to audition and whatnot and get brought in and you're considered since it's like a civilian acquired skill, um, you get brought in as a specialist or you have a college degree and you just chose to right. and come in as a specialist. So like when you're in basic, and you're floating around with like, I'd say 80% of the people you're there with aren't specialists, 20% are, and majority of them are usually just the college one. Right. It's like, I remember, I remember when throughout, throughout kind of like my time in basic as the drill sergeants kind of started to figure out like some of like, oh, like we have a bunch of musicians here instead of like, it wasn't like, I'm not just the college grad things. And um, that definitely changed up a little bit. Um, next thing you know it was like somebody would be singing like national anthem every yeah they they had fun with it they had fun with it but uh i mean it wasn't that bad but um it is just funny how how often i mean to this day it was only i I was at drill last weekend and i was we we had a ceremony where like just moving a bunch of equipment from our armory over to like this this uh like parade field where we have like old pass and review thing and um just even moving equipment over there that dude's like i was moving a snare drum and this guy's like, is that a drum? I'm like, oh, uh, yes, Arden. And he's like, what the hell? Like, just totally, yeah, it's it's a it's a funny world. But I can only especially imagine back then. Because, um, I mean, Army bands today are still very, very involved, very out in the field. But back then, even, I mean, totally different story. I'm sure your grandfather, like, just even getting brought in around, brought brought around on the island hopping campaign um yeah Yeah, it's it's from i mean everybody i think the 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 fascination with world war ii and all that stuff yeah we all they all say everyone says that they love world war ii veterans but in the context of history everyone wants to hear about the the guys seeing the action because that's that's i mean it's the action that's what's what you hear about the most and it's what people think of when they think of war uh you know what's kind of turned some heads or turned some heads and on this project with some people who hear about it is uh, on the the uh, the narration track. My grandpa tells this story of one of their first uh, uh, concerts when they get to Leyte. Their first stop is in Leyte, and they get off the ship and they're playing this show. It's uh, he describes it really well, like it's very vivid. And there's a makeshift stage, and GIs are climbing up half blown out palm trees, and the only way he can describe it is it's 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 the front. And so they're climbing up these half blown out palm trees to put spotlights on them and they start this show. And it's a full crowd of, of a bunch of GIs and they've got their rain gear on and their rifles sticking out and they get part of the way through this show and fighting breaks out just behind them. And I mean, that's just the nature of the Pacific. Like you didn't know where the Japanese were or anything like that. It could be, they could be anywhere. And that was just the nature of uh, being on an island with the Japanese. And so fighting breaks out just behind them and so essentially they're playing this show like right on the front line. And it's just kind of just people have kind of gone, huh, I never thought about that being a possibility. That's just crazy. And so I hadn't either until I actually heard my grandpa tell that story. It just seems to be playing a show. And then all of a sudden, and it's your first show, one of your first shows in right. front of an audience that wouldn't be afraid to tell you what they think about the show. <laughs> and all of a sudden fighting breaks out. I mean, no pressure, right? <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely. And that... Yeah. And from even what I've heard of, um, you know, I've read some books and whatnot about World War, World War II that kind of makes sense from what I've read of, especially in the island hopping campaigns, they would, they would hit the beaches, they might take over and they might take over part of the island. But some of the things that, that would have happened, the Japanese would kind of hide out, like hide out and purposely, you know, hang out and hang out in their, their, their tunnel systems or, or hang out in patches of woods and whatnot and kind of mm-hmm. wait and just wait for the allied forces to keep going past and keep getting set up and then counterattack sometimes then so there was a lot of things i remember one book specifically i read i think it was called uh, uh phantom warrior but um which is about a guy uh, a private that got drafted that got a medal of honor 
um, doing some, I mean, crazy, just draw jaw dropping stuff. I highly recommend if you're into, it's, I assume you're into reading history books, but, yeah. uh, but Phantom Warrior, I definitely recommend it. Um, but I remember them saying in that, that at one point it was like, they had taken this Island, they had taken this Island for months. And yet every now and then there was like a kind of a fanatical group of Japanese that refused to re surrender that were still hanging out in the woods. This might've been, I don't know, Guadalcanal or somewhere, but mm -hmm. months later, I mean, months, months later, every now and then they would get like, like this group would run out and shoot at them like a little bit and then run back and like hide in the woods. And, and it just, I was like, wow, man, like this, at this point, it's like the fighting's moved on to Iwo Jima. And this guy's talking about just being here. It's just like a, like a way station and he's like yeah every couple times a week they would still have to like man battle stations even though the technical fighting here stopped months ago um yeah and you know the philippines is like that on steroids because the last guy to officially surrender in the in the philippines was in the 70s like he was pulled I, up yeah. in the mountains forever that's another one um i believe he wrote a book i've kind of loosely heard his story but i I've, that's always kind of been one of my my laundry list of uh reading read, or books i want to read but yeah I've, I've yeah no it's quite a story and it and it it just makes i mean no matter even if you took an area like you were saying you just never know because there could be pockets of, of japanese around that uh were just waiting or, or whatever for the right time and it just makes you mean i mean my grandpa talks about i mentioned earlier uh he would practice uh, his trumpet three hours a day after practice while the other guys were like playing chess and stuff and he didn't want to bother anyone so he would take a, some a few steps outside of camp and into the jungle like he would go off into the jungle by himself with a mute so he wouldn't be disturbing anyone and uh man he must just i mean people think they're invincible when they're 20 but man he, <laughs> he just got right. you don't know yeah he's terrifying to me i don't know i i don't know how he even thought to do that but fortunately he survived you don't yeah yeah absolutely um so what uh i'd love to uh i'd love to kind of hear a little bit more of your your personal experience with your grandfather um uh, like when i mean was it something as you your whole life you're like okay he's been sharing stories with us and whatnot or was it was it maybe not until like you first heard that oral um so the the i i guess it's, it's on the vinyl that he came back and made correct or yeah, so the the recordings were on uh, the vinyl for for the seventy five years, and at some point, I think I was about two. He made in the in the early or the mid eighties would have been the mid eighties. I think it was like eighty six. Uh, he took two of those songs off the vinyl and put them on tape, just kind of for his own posterity. He was doing like an oral history, and it was just going to be for family. So he took two of the songs that he was a featured soloist on, and put them on uh, tape because he was just compiling his lifelong musical journey and that was a, that was a portion of it and so the oral history came with that he sat down for 28 minutes and did this off the cuff chronological story of his life in the band and those are uh things we knew about so the the recordings he put those back in the attic uh well i know now it was the attic but he put them away and I think as he just aged, he just kind of forgot where the recordings were. So we knew they existed uh, basically my whole life, but I'd never actually heard any of the songs. And uh, when I was in high school, I was I started really getting into World War II history. And I knew Grandpa was in World War II, but not to, didn't really know to what capacity. And so I remember we were talking about World War II one day, and I, I just had to run home and and see uh, grandpa and ask him all about the war. And, and I remember just being so disappointed that he was in the band and he wasn't some guy who like, I don't know, yeah, like yeah, he, he didn't end the war or get a medal of honor or anything like that. And I just remember being really disappointed and, and high school me was a European theater guy and he was in the Pacific. So uh, early on my recollections of, of his time in the war were, I just remember being uh, disappointed, which, uh, I mean, looking back now, I, I feel terrible about because uh, he had such an incredible journey and in what he did and being a musician during the war. But uh, it kind of built from there. Uh, I still I, I learned about history after that. My love of history grew. And my grandpa and I were always very close. I mentioned earlier, uh, I don't play an instrument or anything like that. Uh, music was his whole life. I come from a very musical family. Everyone plays an instrument or 
was at least forced to start an instrument at some point in their life and can read music. I was not for whatever reason, I was a jock and very much into history. And I, I assume everyone just thought I was happy bouncing my basketball. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a second to acknowledge an organization called Creative Vets. If you listened to my episode with Richard Casper, you've probably heard about them already. If not, definitely go check that out. But Creative Vets uses various forms of art, including songwriting, visual arts, music, and creative writing to help disabled veterans cope with service-related trauma. Um, I've heard some really, really cool stuff about them. Like I said, if you'd like to hear more details about them, check back to the episode with Richard Casper, but I just wanted to take a second to highlight them. That is C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E-T-S dot org, creativevets.org. Thank you, and back to the episode. Uh, we were fascinated by each other. We were very close because we were pretty opposite as far as our interests, so I think we had this fascination with each other's lives as I got a little older. And so when I got to be about 20, uh, he gave me a copy of uh, a CD that he had made and it had the oral history and it was pretty much his life's work uh, musically. And so it had his oral history and it had those two tracks from the, that they made in the Pacific. And so I can remember sitting in my car at about 20 years old and going for a drive. He'd just given me the CD and I popped it in and uh, he introduces what the two tracks are, the special recordings made in the Philippines in 1945. Moonlight in Vermont and Trumpet Rhapsody. And so Moonlight in Vermont is the first song I heard off of this. And the first thing you hear is uh, my grandpa's solo. And I had grown up listening to my grandpa play the trumpet all the time as a kid. And I, I just assumed everyone's grandpa went to Juilliard and sounded like that. And to hear him as a 20 year old for the first time when he was a 20 year old, when his lungs were at max capacity could right blow the roof off if he wanted to. Uh, it was just an incredible thing to hear. And that was when I really, really uh, started focusing in on uh, the, his, his journey in the war. And so the, when I was about 20 was when that happened and started talking to him about his, his journey and things like that. And I, I've kind of always felt like uh, since I started this project that he kind of groomed me to do this uh, most of my life because I, I was around his music. He played it all the time. He's told those stories to me repeatedly his whole life because his army, his army experience was was such a good experience. He wasn't uh, uh, someone who shied away from from talking about it. He didn't experience uh, awful awful things. I mean, he was at that show on the front lines, but uh, it was nothing compared to the guys that had to be there every single day. And so uh, he did not shy away from his ar army experience or, or feel like he couldn't share it with anyone. He he loved his experience and he loved the music he made and the guys he played with and. So he, he would talk about that often. We would talk about it often all the way up until he died. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so he, I did, he, I did see he passed away in 2016, I believe. Yeah, 2016. So it's been a few years now. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a remarkable thing. Um, especially it's cool. I mean, yeah, he had the recorded, you know, the recorded songs, there that he kind of held on to and then even like obviously held them all held on to him and was waiting for a moment to kind of share them to you guys um and being going back and putting it on like a cd and mm -hmm. uh, and then creating the oral the oral history part of it as well um yeah yeah the the oral history part i, I think is is almost the best addition. It's such a great addition to the actual music because I've, I've arranged it in a way uh, to where you hear the music. My grandpa kind of introduced uh, those two songs in the 80s and I made that the first part of the, it's like an intro track. I made that the first part of this and Moonlight and Vermont and Trump Rhapsody are the first uh, two tracks on the album. So you hear all the music and then you hear the story. It's a chronological story about the music and eventually you get to the end of uh, how the music was made and who, who made it and things like that. And you almost have to go back and listen to the music again once you hear that story at the end because you're like, oh, maybe I missed something. So you have to go back. So it's right. it, it's really kind of fun to listen to the oral history part of it on top of the, the uh, it really makes for a, quite a package. Right, right. Um, so since then with the with the project, um, I, I see you've, you've been getting, you've been getting some media attention. Um, 
how's it been how's it been the last couple months i mean going on like npr and uh that's 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 all been really really fun like at first i was uh you know the more you do stuff the more you get used to them like the first time i did a podcast and stuff i remember being really really nervous all the way up until you start and then you just kind of get used to talking and, and stuff and, and sharing the story so it's it's been kind of fun uh the the, the part about the I, I really wish he was alive to see all this because he would just he was such a modest guy uh he would always he would just want based on all of this he would just be wondering you know why why would anyone take an interest in what i was doing i mean that, that was just his kind of modesty kind of thing but he right, right. he would be uh, the word my cousins would would use to describe this was he'd be tickled by this it would just make him chuckle and arrested that in anything he did with his life but he really had this remarkable life and so uh, it's really been fun talking to all these different media outlets and sharing their story. Uh, the NPR one was really cool because I did the interview here at uh, work and out of all the, the the things I thought I would hang on my my school, my classroom door uh, in an NPR interview was right, probably right. Like, the furthest disturb. from my mind. <laughs> do not disturb, like currently yeah. talking to all things considered. Um, yeah. yeah, especially in my, the tiny town I'm from. But uh, uh, it's been a great journey. I've loved talking uh, about grandpa and his bandmates and the music and stuff like that and bringing a little attention to them and, and uh, who I'm partnering with the USO uh, on this project. I, I think we can get into that in a little bit, but uh, I'd say the best part of this whole journey I, through doing the media, the media has kind of been that bridge to get the story out. But the best part of this whole project has been uh, hearing children of World War II veterans and actual World War II veterans uh, somehow find my email and message me on social media and say, Hey, thanks for putting this out. This really reminded me of my dad or my grand or my parents. Uh, they always listen to this music or the world war II guys who say, yeah, that really brought me back to my time in the service and things like that. So that's been my favorite part of this is just having that it, cause it's out of all the things that happened in the war uh, music is one of those things that can really boost your morale and, and kind of, right. What the, that's really what the music is for to boost the morale of uh, the service members who are far from home, make them feel like they're a little closer to home. So that's, that's been the best part of this is just hearing the feedback from the kids of the world war II veterans and the, uh, the actual world war II veterans. I get a kick out of that too. Right. Right. And, um, and army bands, I mean, are continuing to continue to still do that today. Uh, right. We have, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, they're not going, they're not going over to Afghanistan and, and uh, playing uh playing Sinatra anymore playing you know <laughs> but um a little bit different smaller teams like rock bands going over playing some like yeah playing like Rage Against Machine I have, I have seen some of the rock bands I've enjoyed listening to some of them and checking out all the the newer stuff the newer army bands that's been kind of cool too yeah oh it's definitely definitely evolved but at the core at the core concept of it there, there are still, well, not now, because Afghanistan especially kind of drawn down. And I mean, our, our operations over there are starting to draw down in general. But over the years, I mean, there's stories of, I've, I've never been a part of that, especially just being on the guard side. Um, but I know there's people, I, especially going up through through to the school music and whatnot, that um, went to their full-time bands and, and went overseas and or went to Afghanistan and kind of did like little like mini tours around yeah. the playing different fob, like different quick little setups to where they can literally just helicopter ride from base to base and just put on, putting on little shows. Um, yeah. Yeah. And with the same focus that, you know, bringing them, trying to bring a little bit of a piece of home over to there to help with. Yeah. Um, yeah, with definitely. Going on. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a partnership with the USO. I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So when I started this whole journey, I knew, uh, that partnering with someone was going to be the route I wanted to take. I mean, uh, part of the reason was I wanted to get the word out on what it is because I mean, it is old music and it's not going to be for everybody, but, uh, partnering with somebody like the USO, I mentioned this band did shows with, uh, USO groups over in the Philippines and they were the first person, the first group that came to mind. And so I approached them, uh, to, uh, kind of get the word out and at the same time uh album sales we're gonna raise money for their organization because the band and the uso they kind of share kind of a, the same philosophy of that whole uh making uh service members who are overseas 
uh, feel a little closer to home. And they both kind of do that same thing. The band does it through music. Uh, the USO actually puts on, puts together tours of musical groups and, right. and right. famous people and comedians and people who can go visit and make people make uh, service members feel like they're a little closer than home to home than they are. And so that, that was the general idea was a, just a way to raise money to uh, for the USO who has the same uh, who has the same goal of what this band would would have been doing during World War II. Cool, cool, yeah, yeah. No, the USO is really um, and some I mean, some even like famous. One of the I think one of the most famous USO tour things was uh, Robin Williams over in Iraq oh, yeah. from like two thousand three to two thousand six. Um, but I still get like clips that show up on my, like you recommended YouTube every now and then of just watching like some of his, uh, some of his standup over there or whatnot, but definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so all, so all sales from the album of 50% are going, going to the USO. Yeah. So a portion. So right now the album's only out digitally. You can buy it on iTunes, Amazon, or if you buy it on the band website, actually, if you buy it on the band website, it's a couple bucks more, but you get a World War II film that my grandpa came home with of the band actually uh, playing their instruments and goofing around over there in the Pacific. So uh, that's been really a fun component of it too, having some multimedia release. But so right now it's digital. I'm working on the physical CD copies, the album artwork and, and notes and stuff. I'm hoping to have that out by uh, Memorial Day for sure. But totally forgot where I was going with that. So yeah, so there's digital copies out right now and the digital sales and the physical. So the, all the, all the album sales, everything, but the streaming will be a portion will be going to uh, the USO and the other portion will be going to basically funding uh, the creation of physical CDs for people to purchase. Yeah. A lot of people have asked me, actually, most people ask me about the, the physical CDs. They want to see the physical CDs or the uh, vinyl has been making a big comeback recently yeah asking about vinyl and the the nature of when this album was made and the the, the time period of back then uh, a lot of people have asked me about vinyl just because that's what it would have been on and stuff like I think that yeah I was just about to say I think there's definitely a nostalgic because it is kind of one nostalgic music two just a nostalgic I mean out of like you know veteran influenced music World War II veteran influenced music the third component the the nostalgic technology vinyl vinyl was you know at the time um, yeah and even even if, if you were to listen to it now if you if you stream it or anything uh it's got a very vintage sound to it because it was made in a tent in the the middle of the i mean it wasn't made in a studio so it, there's some there's definitely a vintage sound to it it doesn't sound completely pristine as if it was made in a studio uh there's definitely some age sound to it uh, yeah. I, I think that kind of adds to the whole story and and the the, the name of the album being Sentimental Journey and stuff like that. It just kind of has that whole vintage, uh, nostalgic feeling to it. Right, right. You said you worked with a couple uh, engineers that were they, I'm sure were they were able to kind of make it, master it, or, or yeah, master it to the best of their, their ability. Yeah. But they're still going to be because of the way it was recorded. Like I've right. worked with recording, recording stuff enough to where it's like you can manipulate something so much, but it's only you can only do so much from when you get something coming to you. Know what I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do now. Like when I started, uh, the, the, the first sound engineer that worked on it was a guy named Ruben Cohen and, uh, he's very talented and uh, he's won a Grammy, uh, a Latin Grammy. And he's the first person that worked on it. And I think when I first dropped it off, uh, I remember thinking, well, it's modern technology. I mean, it's going to sound amazing. Like there's not going to be any kind of distortion or anything like that. Right. Right. Uh, that, that was my thought. I mean, having never been in the music industry or, or, or worked as a sound engineer, that was just my assumption. I mean, it's 20th, 21st century, of course they, they can get rid of everything, <laughs> but I mean, from, if you take the, the recordings from what the sound engineers started with to what they got it to, what they did was unbelievable. Uh, there is, there is that vintage, there are those vinyl pops and things like that that you hear, but it's, it's well under uh, the sound of the music and everything. Whereas before it was almost, if you turned it up, you mostly heard the hissing. So now you mostly hear the music and the, the, uh, 
the vinyl pops and things like that are more of a background sound and really just add to that vintage sound. It's not so much overwhelming as where it's all you can hear. So they, they did a fantastic job with the, what they did. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and then, so I know we only have a few minutes left, but I just wanted to, uh, so the goal or I know what part of the project, um, is I believe the Grammy, the Grammy nomination, 2022 yep. historical album Grammy nomination. Yes. yes. So we are, we are trying to make a run and getting these world war II veterans, a best historical Grammy nomination later this year. So it'll be for the 2022 Grammys, uh, in January. And we all kind of feel like we have a very unique piece of history. There's nothing else out there like this. Uh, my grandpa's oral track adds a whole lot of history to it. And I mean, the just the timing and everything seemed to work out really good too, because it got released on Veterans Day, 75 years after the album was created in the Pacific. So yeah, we, we feel like we've got a, a great piece of history and, and we can get a nomination. And uh, that's what we're gonna attempt to do to try and get these World War II veterans some recognition for their role in the war and, and their talents as musicians. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, best, best of luck to you, man. Um, Thank you. Just while I'm thinking of it too, I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, his, history teacher, historian, so it's probably something that's been on your radar, but this might even be something that, uh, the, I don't know, maybe over in DC, like Smithsonian, um, Smithsonian or the National Archives, or I mean, they might be interested. It might be something to think about looking into. Uh, I don't know. I have actually. They're, so the the World War II Museum uh, is down in New Orleans, and New Orleans is very also. So I always thought that uh, that connection between jazz and, and World War II down there would be really good. So I I plan on contacting them and uh, getting them. Uh, giving them the the actual original records that my grandpa had these put on and stuff. And hopefully we can add a little more stuff to give to them down there. Maybe a, a Grammy award of some kind they can display for the free. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's kind of, um, and that's, that's really cool to hear that you guys would be willing uh, or the family would be willing to maybe part ways with the, the original um, or your grandfather's original vinyl. And cause I, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, dude, I, I think that that belongs in like one of the Smithsonian's that belongs in, uh, yeah, chances are there the, some aspect of the National Archives might be interested or the library. I mean, there's the whole, I don't, I don't know about the Library of Congress, but, um, but yeah, yeah, there's definitely, I, if that's something you guys are interested or interested, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's and that's definitely, cool. you guys would be okay with that. Cause I, I think it belongs somewhere like that. That's such, yeah, a, no, it definitely does. We, uh, We've had them for a long time. We've enjoyed my grandpa's music forever, and I, we we could always just turn the the the, the Spotify on if we want to hear Grandpa's trumpet again. But the uh, we've always we've always felt that the original records belong somewhere in a museum where everyone else can enjoy uh, looking at them and stuff like that. Right, right, and because it is such a unique part of World War Two, and um, yeah. just yeah, like media media from World War II. One of the few, I mean, especially given the technology went up back then, there's some videos, but, you know, black and white. Um, there's some pictures, but so any, yeah. especially audio, audio. Yeah, and from a, a frontline, a band unit that spent its time on the front lines, it's, it's, it's so unique. I've, from all my research and talking to people, I mean, no one's ever heard of anything like this. And it's, and it's not like it's one song. It's literally, it's 10 songs. It's an album. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, Glenn Miller and guys like that, they can get recording studios anywhere they wanted pretty much. And there's plenty on them and, and bands that were stateside and can go into a studio. There's plenty on that too. But uh, an album that was actually made out where the war was happening in a, in a tent out in the middle of the, the Philippines or, or any other place out in the, the, the Pacific, it's just unheard of. So yeah, it's always been on my radar to, to donate the, the records to somebody like the World War II Museum or someone Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. Um, not, to, not to sound like Indiana Jones, but that belongs in the museum. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but um, yeah, I uh, inc incredible story. I mean, it's so cool you guys have that. Um, I, it's so cool what your grandfather like 
just was able to kind of see ahead, see years of one of those, you know, recording his, recording his oral story or oral history. Yeah. In the 80s. And just kind of with the mindset of thinking it out and like, you know, my family's always going to have this and just beyond thinking beyond his time. And, and here we are now. And this very, very cool, man. Yeah, I've always thought that since the beginning, I thought, you know, once I found these records, that for him to have the foresight in the, from the beginning to say, hey, uh, can I have those can yeah. I bring the records home? I mean, yeah, yeah. Instruments and, and stuff just gets tossed or like, hey, toss it. Who needs? I mean, war's over. We don't need this anymore. It goes into a file somewhere and you never see it again. So for him to have the the uh, the, the the foresight to even think that that that's something worth keeping is, is pretty incredible too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here we are at 70, 70 odd years later. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully getting a Grammy on this thing. Yeah. We're hoping we got our fingers crossed, but I think we got a good piece of history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised, though. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, that's, that's all I have. Uh, I, I do want to say, I mean, if there's any, obviously I'm going to share this episode and then this episode is going to be shared on my socials and whatnot, but okay. if there's, if I don't know if there's a specific website you'd like to shout out, shout out to send people to, um, if they want to learn more about your project, learn more about exactly where they can, where they can purchase the album, where they can find it streaming right now. Mm. Uh, so the best website to go to is the band website. If you go to 746 FEAF, Beef, that stands for Far East Air Force. Um, that website has a music page, and you can buy the album and World War II uh, film digitally, or it's also got links on there that can take you to Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere you stream music. And you can, uh, of course, buy it on iTunes and Amazon, too, if you just type in the art of the band name. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. No, and that there's, I mean, definitely, I'm, def I'm going to stay in touch see how things are going, see if, uh, um, if there's any way I can help out even just personally with this. It's definitely a cool, I, I don't know what I can awesome. do, but um, yeah, I'm rooting for you. It's, Thank you. It'd be so cool to see that it gets a Grammy next year. And then if you are able to get it, like the physical, the physical vinyl itself, some, you know, involved in a museum somewhere where people can enjoy it and it could be held. Um, yeah held safely for you know years and years to come and because mm -hmm. it's a true part of history a true true audio recording from world war ii that's yeah. very very rare um, yeah definitely yeah so that's all i got jason um thank you for enjoying thank you for joining me today and uh yeah i um i don't know if there's any any last things you have any anything last yeah any last things you want to say uh, not off the top of my head. I'll definitely, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. I'm, I'm sure we can figure out with you being in the garden and everything. There's, there's probably something we can do next month, uh, with the, the USO. Uh, I think my contract with the USO, they're just wrapping it up. It should be ready before May mm -hmm. sign. And then May, I know that they want to have this big push for, cause it's, uh, I always get the term veteran and, and I think it's national, it's military. I, I, is May Military Appreciation Month? Or military Appreciation May Appreciation Month. I always get that. Yeah. I always want to throw a veteran in there for some reason, but it's, I know it's it's Military Appreciation Month. So we're we're gonna have a big push for with this, and we think we think we're gonna be back in the national spotlight with it being uh, Military Appreciation Month and uh, Memorial Day. Probably closer to Memorial Day, they're thinking maybe we can get back in the national spotlight on uh, some platform like NPR again or something like that. Cool. Cool. Well, I will definitely, I'll definitely stay tuned. I'll stay in touch. Any NPR articles come up or anything, I'll be sure to share them across the podcast socials, my personal socials. Um, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. Awesome. Just, thank you so much, Shane. Really, really I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, thank you for, once again, thanks for coming on. And, uh, yeah. All right. That wraps up my interview with Jason Burt. If you'd like to find more information about his project or where you can download the out al his grandfather's album, please check out www.746thenumbers746theafeaf.com. F-E-A-F stands for Far East Air Force. I'm going to repeat that one more time. 
T-H-F-E-A-F.com. It was a privilege having him on, especially after all the publicity he's been getting recently. I'm glad I'm able to help him out with whatever I can in his project of trying to get his grandfather nominated for a historical Grammy for 2022. And if any way, I hope you guys as listeners can help out. Just go stream the music. Just if you feel obliged by buy the album or buy downloads. Um, but it's a really cool project and it's not the kind of thing I was always looking forward to the first kind of World War II interview or World War II related interview I was going to come across in doing this. And this is just a really, really cool thing. And I'm, it's an honor that I was able to have him on the podcast. So definitely help him out in what he's trying to do. And it'd be a really cool thing to see his grandfather's work actually get the nomination in 2022 especially from a work that was recorded in 1945 on the battlefield so once again thank you for thank you for tuning in uh next episode will be out in the first friday of june and once again if you if you really like the podcast you know just make sure you subscribe the other thing i'd like to highlight real quick i'm sure you've noticed and i'm sure you've noticed there's not really like advertisements on this there's kind of non-profit shout outs and that's kind of on purpose one of the ways of going about this podcast that I wanted it to be was that instead of in lieu of actual advertisements I wanted it to kind of the advertisement breaks just being kind of shout outs for non-profits that's uh, it's just what I wanted to do I've always had it on my heart to do this podcast and that makes me really feel better about doing this because I wanted to do this anyway. It's not about making money. It's not about, it's about having great conversations, hearing great stories for me anyway. And that's something I just really want to do. So go check out those podcast or go, yeah, go, go check out those nonprofits. I don't have a Patreon. I don't plan on setting up a Patreon. I don't really care about in the aspect of really, really making money from this. It's not what it's about. So in lieu of that, I do ask you to kind of pay attention to some of those nonprofit shout outs that I make and maybe go check them out. And if you feel it and if you're able to, if not, then it's okay. But if you feel it and you're able to, maybe think about making a donation to some of them. I know Creative Vets I've mentioned before, Guitars for Vets I've mentioned before. Um, I'm actually talking to a couple other individuals, representatives from nonprofits right now and kind of starting to bring them in the mix to mention their name. I just want to make sure I'm mentioning their name in the way they want to before I start talking about it. But moral of the story, if you feel that's something you want to do, I'm not going to ask for money at all. That's not what this is about for me. More, more so for me, it's just about the conversations. I really like having the conversations. I've always, I've, for years, I've thought about doing this. And I'm just happy I'm doing this now. It's not about making money for me. So if you want, if you like what you're hearing, I would appreciate it if you went and checked out Creative Vets or went and checked out Guitars for Vets and maybe threw a couple dollars their way, especially these days, they could use it. So once again, thanks for checking out the episode and uh, look forward to the first episode in June. So have a great rest of your month and I'll see you then.